movies on this podcast, groundbreaking. <laughs> I'm Meg Jansen. I'm Eliza Jansen. I'm Noah Jansen. And I'm Marty Alex. And welcome to Twin Peaks. <laughs> Gosh, I love movies. Welcome to Twin Picks, the show where a pair of actual real-life human twins... And me too. ...make a double feature out of two movies that share a tenuous kind of connection and decide which one does its job better. How There was something weird. When you were talking just then, you said there were two... There were twins. God, I just can't get it right today, can I? But there was something... (laughs) What am I doing? It sounded like there was another person in the room. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so weird. It's almost like we have a guest on the podcast for the first time. And it feels like it's Christmas. Oh, my God. So we have with us a wonderful, uh, a wonderful man, someone that anyone who knows him, the funniest person they know. He is, he's been in such productions as In the Heights and Spamalot and the wonderful Bring It On last year. It is the one and only Marty Alex. Welcome to the welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. We're oh, so this is thrilled. So much fun. Noah <laughs> has been hyping us up so much. I feel like guys is the best. He's, he's like, he's like they're the gonna love him, gonna and then they're gonna want us off the show. <laughs> Don't put yeah. like heaps of pressure. Yeah. When I first heard about it, it was I think in open space. Yeah, yeah. And so VCA runs like a thing yeah. for like lots of different past students to yeah. come and talk about different creative kind of things. And you guys yeah. hadn't aired your first episode, and when you were talking about it, I was really, really intrigued by yeah. it. Yeah. So you guys are doing some great work. Oh, yeah. thank you. The dynamic between you guys is so much fun. To <laughs> some sibling quarrelling yeah. and all of the above. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. With thank you so much for joining us today, yeah, and thank you so much mm. for bringing with you a movie I'm so excited to talk exactly. about. Exactly. I have yeah. been on my shit since we started this podcast about Paul Thomas Anderson. And when we invited you to join us today, we said, you know, what movies would you like to talk about? And one of them is one of his films, which I love, yes. Phantom Thread. And we're also talking about that in conjunction with The Devil Wears Prada, which hey. I think will get some people interested. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. I'm so excited today. Um, I love both these films and I feel like We've all got a lot to say. Yeah, and people love these films yeah. in very different ways. Yeah, they're very yeah. beloved films, yeah. but you're right, in very different ways. One really quotable, one really aesthetic and rich and kind of textual. Mm. Um, yeah. What was you guys's, you guys' tacky, what was experiences of these films like before we came here today? Like had you seen them a lot? Did you love them? Did you know them very well? Like, I was in Sydney doing a show when I saw Phantom Thread. At, mm-hmm. I saw it at, I think, one of the palace cinemas there. Yeah. Um, and I remember like leaving so like bewildered, but <gasps> also equally like enchanted because of how like, it's just like defies so many genres. It's yeah. Really yeah. You know what I mean? And I then, totally agree. And then like. Hypnotic I, definitely oh, feels like the word for that. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it came up on Netflix because I think it was just added recently. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I need to watch this again. And yeah. then it was like, you should come on the podcast. I'm like, let's talk about this. Yeah. I love it. It um, unravels in this really yeah. interesting way. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. And Devil Wears Prada? Yeah. Um, well, you guys chose that, I think. We did. Yeah, we did. Oh, we yeah. Said we we want to watch that. Devil yeah, so we, we've been saying, like, with guests, we, we think you are, say the film and, and we'll, we'll make pair it with something. something else. Mm. So I'm very interested as to, like, 
Did you grow up watching Devil Wears Prada? Or are you like, this is just some dumb shit movie? Or? I think I knew like about it just because of the, the quotes and stuff yeah. that came from it. And I did yeah. see it when it first came out, but it wasn't one of those ones that... Um, oh, it really has, wasn't a like... No, it, it really... It wasn't no. in like circulation over time. Not really, yeah. no. I think also because like, I think when I was younger, my parents also sheltered me from a lot of... Really oh, really? Like, yeah. oh, that's, you know, that's a bit bad. It's a bit naughty. So And now you're all grown up and you can watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it was, I think it was just about like, even like silly stuff, like the fact that she sleeps with Chris Thompson at the end. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, like those, but those are obviously things that you can just kind of like look past when you're a bit older and then just like, go watch it. Yeah. It's almost uh, like yeah. a blip in the movie. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. 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 That's so true. Well, yeah. I think we should get things on our way. Do we want to start with Devil Wears Prada? Cause it's the first. I think Devil is the easiest start. Yeah. Can I also point. point out both movies? It's like they're both fashion, but also like Devil oh. and Phantom. Oh yeah. Sorry. Like, we didn't really yeah, say the about connection? the connection. Devil and Phantom is good. You're right. It's yeah. true. Yeah. But both yeah. of these films are sort of, they talk about the artist muse kind of relationship in fashion industries. Um, Phantom Thread is set in the 50s and sort of has this like designer loosely inspired by the Givenchy house, but then also Charles James, this other designer. And um, yeah, it's directed by Paul Thomas Anderson and stars Daniel Day-Lewis. And then Devil Wears Prada is the 2006 more pulpy sort of it's more like magazine, fashion, mag- commercial, glossy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's get into it. Let's start with Devil Wears Prada. Let's do it. Devil Wears Prada is a 2006 American comedy drama. It's directed by David Frankel and produced by Wendy Feynman. It is based on the uh, novel of the same name written by um, Lauren Weisberger. And it sort of follows this um, Anna Wintour-esque um, editor, chief editor, whatever, of Vogue, but it's not Vogue. What's it called? Runway. 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 Um, I thought it was real. I'm so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Miranda Priestley, um, played by the incomparable Meryl Streep. Um, She is this, like, boss bitch and she just makes everyone look like a chump, especially Emily Blunt, who plays her. Which doesn't make her look like a chump. Well, Anne Hathaway looks like a chump. But Emily Blunt is, like, they're they're her chasing little secretaries or whatever, PAs. And it just follows this fashion crazy um, um, industry. And yeah, I think most of our viewership, I mean, listenership, listenership, will have, um, will know this film. This film feels pretty like obvious in the imagination. It feels like similar in the vein to when we watch Mean Girls, but less, this is a less perfect film. It's not as good, but it's, I'm interested to talk about it. Yeah, I think like, I'm always conflicted. I guess we can only say it as like watching it as like little children. Because it did come out, yeah, wow, this is like this cool adult world, like being like what a woman is. Mm. Like you have super expensive clothes and you have this crazy job. Yeah, I think (laughs) like Marty sort of said in the beginning, this film is inherently quotable. Like Mm. you think about this, movie in terms of the little spiels that it has it has like 
the Miranda Priestley moment where she talks about Cerulean, Cerulean and how we're the people in the room who decided what you're wearing every single day. Mm. So you have that and then you also have, you know, florals for spring, groundbreaking yes. and those <laughs> moments. Yeah. So when we think about that, the quotability of this film, where does it come from? Does it come from Miranda Priestley and Meryl Streep just being such an amazing actress and mm. what she lends to the role or is it because it does reflect Anna Wintour and the Vogue life and yeah. that whole yeah. industry? I mean, some of the lines are pretty, like if they were, you're reading them on a script, mm. they'll be pretty plain, but the way she does them makes them iconic. Like when they're getting the show done like super early and she's like, why is no one ready? Yeah. Like, yes. I love the reading of that. That's yeah. so true. Um, yeah, I think about this movie in terms of the delivery, especially with, yeah, Miranda Priestley and also Stanley Tucci's character. And Emily Blunt. Oh, she's Emily Blunt's cute. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, sweet, yeah, this movie... On the rewatch, it doesn't feel as polished as I think it probably did when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys Marty, was this your first full watch of the film? No, I had seen it before. I just kind of mm. just didn't remember it. Interesting. That much, which is interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry yeah. to you. I think, like, I didn't – it was – I mean, it was a really quotable movie, but it wasn't the same as Mean Girls where I just no. kept coming back to it. Completely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think definitely, like, what's interesting, Meg, about you asking, like, it's interesting that – those quotability, where does that come from? I kind of go, that's all this film is to me mm. now. I feel like there's two very distinct films here. Neither of them gel well because, like, the core conflict of the film mm. isn't sound. So, like, the first kind of film is, like, a fish out of water. You're being thrown into this crazy world and you're like, oh, my God, I have to keep up. Mm. That, it could try and more distinctly be that more consistently throughout the film because the second half is the more, like, she has been lulled into this world and now she is a part of it. And now it's more like mm. it kind of just isn't as, it doesn't try to be funny anymore. That part of the film gives us more amazing Meryl mm. in like a villain role that's like way more textured and layered than it has to be. Mm. But both of those movies serve the core idea that it's a movie about like choosing family and friends and like life over ambition. success and ambition. Yeah. But that doesn't, fucking work in because they're movie, dumb like, friends and boyfriend and dickheads. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. choose ambition. They should they should support you. Yeah, and that's we, the core of the whole yeah, film. It was the biggest like no at the end. Because yeah. I was just like, why, girl? What does, you he, give? Yeah, yeah. What does he give you? Leave that, that man. That trashy boyfriend is the villain of this movie. That Adrian Grenier is more of a villain than Miranda Priestley. Oh, 100%. The boyfriend. But also yeah. you can pluck him out and like it wouldn't really wouldn't change, yeah. I feel what like. Does no. he, what does he bring to her life? He just guilts her. And then the way that she like butters him up is like by showing him like her lingerie and stuff he's like well okay dump him dump him like yeah. no, I'm kidding I think he's like oh yes yeah. I did forget that you have boobs okay like that's yeah. every single means of the way that all of their fights end there is something that feels yeah really outdated watching this movie and realising yeah. she's being like villain or demonised for having ambition and going after what she wants and even mm-hmm. the fact that like they sort of demonise her for using this as a means to an end like the really? fact that her ambition that? exists outside of this glossy industry that every girl would kill to have this job or whatever. It's like, why is that a problem? Why is it a problem that she is calculated in how she is like, you know, using yeah. this as a means to an end? And I find that really weird. I think the only thing that I would say is that I don't find Anne Hathaway, I don't know if it's particularly in this movie I or in general, to talk about the Anne Hathaway super likeable. So, so I'm, weird. I, I don't find it as bad. Like I don't, it isn't as obvious to me that she's being demonized. Mm. Like there is a weird, 
idea around Anne Hathaway as a celebrity yeah. that mm. we should talk about. It's, it's like a, that, it's that gross, effect. disgusting yeah. thing. No, well, I think it's also that gross, disgusting thing of like dudes being like, oh, she's not hot, you know, and that's why she's not in stuff anymore. Yeah. And it's no, really disgusting, like societal thing that we built a public image about Anne Hathaway, even though she was never very... Like I, open. I think that's just the tall and poppy put, thing. Stop putting her in movies. I think we built her up and then we didn't like that she was like enjoying yeah. success. And I think we it's like her down. a self-esteem thing. Like yeah. Jennifer Lawrence was made so likable because exactly. she was like, I eat food <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Whereas Anne Hathaway <laughs> is like, no, I'm not going to pretend serious. to be a silly fool. I am like a beautiful woman. I'm very talented. And she takes and, like, herself comes seriously. across as smug because of it. Yeah. yeah. But she does come across Everyone's as dad hates Anne Hathaway. It's so weird. Everyone's dad. Like she's such a wonderful actress. She was so good in Modern Love. Did you see that episode of Modern Love? No, she has like a musical that? episode, right? Yeah. Does she? she was so good oh my god. Yeah. Modern Love. Yeah. Is that that part? Amazon Prime show. No, the oh, Amazon no Prime show. It's like no. based on um all the like New York Times little stories. Yeah. Whereas I feel like oh. there's so many actors, like male actors, mm. who are like monsters to work with on set. Mm, and everyone and, like, knows go it. method acting and they're like real dickheads. But everyone is like, yeah, what a legend and give him awards. So and we're going to talk about with Jason Friends. Literally, it's like, I'm a tortured <laughs> artist, support style. me. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And like, yeah. she isn't that bad. She's just like, comes across as being slightly aloof and knowing how incredibly attractive she is and like, yeah. how talented she is in action. Yeah. She, and she people gets take so issue with the fact that she it. does take herself seriously. I also mm-hmm. think the um, the way that she accepted her Oscar rub people was the wrong way. They were like, oh, she's not like completely bent over and like crying, bawling her ass. She's like, Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, like, I know. Like, I work you really right. hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's like, did but any of you Joe shave Pesci, your heads? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when Joe Pesci wins, it literally just says, it says thanks. thanks. It's like a fun meme and you're like, what a great guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a so true. So true. I wonder how much of me is just sort of like, it's almost fatigue with the whole doe-eyed Hathaway role. Mm-hmm. Like this feels like. She has like, doe eyes. She can't help it. <laughs> no, not even that. I just feel like, yeah, this is like Anne Hathaway is obviously the person that you cast in this role. But how much yeah. of me is just like, I don't know. I, I just, just don't feel like, her. I just don't vibe around. I didn't like that for so much of the film. They were like, the fat girl. And Look at her. She's, oh so, she's a size, whatever. <laughs> and Stanley like, Tucci like calls her six. Like yeah. just as like yeah. a nickname. Hey, hey six. six. I'm like, shit. Yeah. And like, he's like yeah. her best friend. I'm like, wow, oh, too. Yeah. really rude. Um, yeah, I don't know. I it's think so true. Yeah. part of me, yeah, I on the rewatch, I'm thinking of this film like, in my mind, it's a comfy watch. Like I'm, I'm happy yeah. to put yeah. this on and sort of be on my phone halfway through. And I know it well enough to know that I don't have to pay attention I to it. I think with a film like this, when we talk about a film like this on the podcast, we examine it and attack it in a way that like it isn't designed to be. Yeah, it doesn't like, want to so be. So many films like this, you know, like we watch The Devil Wears Prada exactly the way that everyone else in the world watches it. We are just openly now talking about like, yeah. how like dated it is and like at times like irresponsible and offensive yeah. it is and that like it's pretty messy like morally and thematically mm. yeah. but that main thing that it's trying to do it does for us like it does for everyone like yeah. it still is just like a comfy watch I, I yeah. find the first half, <laughs> half of the film like quite like a lot of the situational stuff is quite funny yeah mm. like you know I love like the running after the Harry Potter book stuff like yeah. that I think um like the the I'm trying to think of um, like Meryl, like the specifics of where everything should go and be put and stuff like that is all quite like fun. There just isn't like much meat. Yeah, part of me thinks of this film as like, you know, the movie equivalent of like a beach read. Yeah. Yes. The book is worse than a beach read. Like the book is so shallow that it makes this like script seem like Schindler's List or something. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? It's interesting with the um, quotability of it and like the fact, like the idea that it doesn't have a lot of meat because I feel like 
because I read this article on Vanity Fair, I think, when it was first released, mm-hmm. that like Meryl was like actually the person to that um, shaped the Cerulean monologue Ooh. and, and the divorce like, monologue. That's important. That's yeah, thing. that's like the weight of it. And I'm like, this is such a Kramer versus Kramer moment where yes. she like writes her own material yes. and makes the film better. And you're like, you guys are so lucky that you had her. Literally. Like, yeah, because yeah, I was blessing. just thinking like, if this was any other, like who would have had the wits and like the, mm. you know. Mm. Mm. Especially that. as we've talked about for a film that positions its women, its ambitious women as like, shut up and sit down. Mm. Mm. Meryl's character, it, like she walks out of that film and is this thing of like, you, she isn't the villain. Like it yeah. is that thing of that whole monologue and all of her like big, like heavy dramatic scenes in the film are being like, my life is about that I am viewed as this poisonous woman. Mm. And if that's the game I have to play, then I have, then to, play I have to play it. Yeah. And like it brings. Like I'll play into that to get what If I want. anything, yeah. those scenes show how like, rude and like ill-considered the rest of the film's approach to women is when they want things because Miranda wants things and the movie respects her for it and it doesn't respect Anne Hathaway for wanting things. I think like my favourite acting decision she makes is like when you think of power or like people, you know, a boss, you think someone being bossy and yelling and being really loud. And Meryl instead like whispers all her lies. She's so quiet. And it makes her so much more of a bully because everyone else has to shut up to hear her and she'll say something so evil and And you're like straining to hear her be horrible to you. And it's like that is like feminine power, I guess. Like still being really polite and like saying things in a sweet, like she has this like melodic, like sweet little voice, but she's like such a cow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think she's so much bigger than the movie. Like, Oh yeah. This character (laughs) is a lot bigger than this movie. There's room for Tucci and Blunt to be good as well. But I love these performances, but I don't like anything that's underneath them really. Mm. And I feel like it's one of those performances from her anyway that like, Cause like I feel like Meryl in a lot of her films she has like a lot of like isms, mm. but it's weird. Mm. But you know that like little exasperated like thing <laughs> <laughs> she does. Yeah. And in this film, it seems like there's less of that. Yeah, like, it's much more stripped back. Yeah, totally. It's like she says more in what she doesn't say. Yeah, it'd yeah. be crazy comparing this to like how warm she is in Mamma Mia or something. Like yeah. her body yeah. language and like how she interacts. With on the, I was just about to say on the topic of Mamma Mia, I think I'm glad <laughs> that she did this because I think Meryl. Part of the Meryl power is that she's not a Daniel Day-Lewis who does like seven films and if mm. he doesn't get nominated for that film, then it was a failure, you know? Yeah. He probably isn't like that, but you know what I mean? Like he has She'll done... She'll do like... Part of her middle, power middle is brow that trash in bad <laughs> things, she is just as good as in like Sophie's Choice. Yeah. Yeah. She never focuses. You know, like Ricky in the... For every Ricky in the Flash, there's, <laughs> there's you know, there's a Sophie's Choice. Yeah. yeah. It's true. You oh care about God. this performance performance just as much as you do about like yeah. Sophie's Choice or about Kravis Kramer or Death Becomes mm-hmm. Her or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think um, we, we shouldn't totally discount the script though. Like the lady who wrote this script, Aileen Brosh McKenna, also wrote 27 Dresses, oh. which is like another chick flick I love. Love. And, like, I think they both... Both have like this really interesting, like really pathetic main character. Yeah. Who kind of like pretty hopeless or whatever. Yeah. They kind of reach self-actualization by the end of it. And it's not really tied into romance that much, which I think is interesting for movies like made for women or whatever. Yeah. But I think both movies, they, you've already touched on a note of it. Both movies have this kind of nasty, like woman on woman hate thing where the women yeah. are always sniping at each other for being like slutty or fat yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I don't really need that. Like it was funny. In other Without ways, like it, all of yeah. Meryl's jokes are funny and they don't really yeah. make fun of how people look at yeah, back. Totally. That's an interesting point I hadn't thought about as much. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't think Phantom Thread does 
any of this. <laughs> no, I think it's about as textured a conversation as you can bring to Devil Wears Prada. What if Phantom Thread started with suddenly I see, It's like Daniel Day Lewis getting ready. Well, I guess let's move on to that and see what we thought about. Let's do it. Phantom Thread is a 2017 American period romantic drama film written and directed by my boy, Paul Thomas Anderson. I am obsessed with the man. He is like my numero uno. I used to get so confused. Do you know about Paul Paul W.S. Anderson? Anderson? Yeah. Yeah. He's like makes like horrible. He makes like all the Resident Evil evil movies. movies and stuff. I was always like, what do you mean, Paul? Like Paul W.S. Anderson is the best director of the decade and stuff. I was so confused as a kid. Yeah, I I seriously love the man. He um, is of um, Phantom Thread, Inherent Vice, There Will Be Blood, Magnolia, Boogie Nights, that kind of fame. And I was so stoked when you came to us with this film suggestion, Marty. So what is it about you, about this film that attracts you to this like what about this movie i think um being a taurian um, <laughs> very much into like wait a, how come what is it about tour taurus it's like aesthetic like okay value. okay and this wow. film is just is just that like it's just so beautiful like every shot and yeah. what i found interesting was that he didn't actually have a cinematographer for this yeah which is so so interesting wild. so yeah. how um anderson speaks about it because um if you're familiar with anderson in terms of his like um, method. He starts with this script. He writes all his own um, work. So he wrote Phantom Thread and then he almost always speaks about his films as really collaborative endeavours. He says like, nope. He like, knows who he's going to cast. Yeah, he like, says like, of his mates. if I am all, at all like not so much an auteur because he doesn't speak about himself like that, but if I am like the person who had a vision for this film, it was only that I had a vision for the script and then we all worked on a script together. Like the script is God. Mm-hmm. So when he speaks about um, the cinematography of this film, he parted ways with his regular cinematographer who was like busy working on other things at the time. And so he was, a lot of people during the press, they tried to credit him as the Anderson as a cinematographer. And he said, no, like I didn't do this. This was very collaborative. This was all of us working together because all of his pursuits are inherently collaborative. I think that that comes across, especially in how he, how much he entrusts Daniel Day-Lewis with this character, yeah. Reynolds yeah. Wolfcott. I thought you were going to say in the character because he is like the designer but then he has the team of seamstresses that actually make it. Yeah, I suppose that's a, another analogy that you could absolutely make. Like the fact that this he is Reynolds Wolfcott. Yeah, kind of. I, I definitely see that. This film is such a character study, as with most of Anderson's film, if not all, where it's almost like – the script is a jumping off point for this entire mm. universe. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, and mm. that's what I love about this movie. And there's something really like beautiful in the way that he uses close-ups and like this like shared, I find with a lot of his characters, there's like sort of like reticence or like this elusiveness that's kind of like, mm. there's like underneath mm-hmm. dialogue that's like not, and what even yeah. that's more important. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I'm Absolutely. thinking of that scene like, where he proposes to Alma. Yeah. And there's like the longest pause. This huge subtext. Yeah, yeah. This huge subtext. And I'm like, oh, 
It is so full. I was going to say, it's so full of, I love that this film, every five, ten minutes, there's some shot that is purely a, like, human subtle moment that is so explosive. Um, My personal favourite is, very early on in the movie, Woodcock has gone to the country to get away from it all, and he's in the restaurant, he's ordered his breakfast, and sees no he hasn't ordered his breakfast yet he sees alma like trip a little bit mm. he sees her blush mm. and there's like a 10 second shot on him as he smiles and you can see the cogs turning in his mind of he's like oh i'm about to do the that cycle like the cyclical thing i do again of like you can see I'm him gonna almost, enter into this yeah, weird you, can like, see this him, you see him hate himself for a second and he's just like I can't help why am I like this? Yeah. And then it, yeah. it, it's so full of those little human moments. Totally. These characters are, as you said, it's a character study first and foremost, and they are just endlessly fascinating. Mm, yeah. yeah. What's I, the movie about? Oh, I haven't really. Oh, damn. Yeah. We've <laughs> so long. <laughs> the film follows the relationship, the artist muse relationship between Reynolds Woodcock, who is this, um, the head of this couture house. Um, and his new muse, Alma, who's sort of shown as like another in a series of muses. And then it also sort of ties into the relationship he shares with his sister, Cyril, and her sort of, she's like this like matron of the house, sort of his carer, pseudo-mother. It kind of has this weird interplay where there's like a bizarre connection between how he relates to his sister and how he related to his mother. Um, Dude have, has like... Mummy issues. He has serious mummy oh, yeah. issues. Yeah, this funny. is like Oedipus complex, like times a million. Yeah. Um, but it also then tying into that gets into the thick of his relationship with Alma, how her love language pretty much becomes her destroying him. <laughs> and then it becomes yeah. this whole thing about Munchausen by proxy, yeah. which is literally where a person causes their loved one to become sick so that they can care for them because they want to serve them through like caring for them and nurturing for them and how Alma relates to Reynolds Woodcock and how she loves him is by like destroying him and then bringing him back to health. Yeah. And it mirrors and echoes the relationship. I don't know. It's kind of like alluded to that, you know, he, he needs to be mothered because he misses his mother and he really idolizes his mother. I think it's also about like, you know, at the start of the movie when he's single, I guess, or he's about to break up with his current muse or whatever, mm. he's so driven by routine. Mm. And, like, if mm. something goes wrong, it's he gets really tense and OCD. and routine. Yeah, and, and so, yeah. like, her doing this fucked up, like, weird, mm. almost kinky thing of, like, making him horribly sick by poisoning him and then, like, cyclically, <laughs> like, curing him. It is a pattern. Like, it works for him. Like, yeah. she nailed it's, it. She found and the it's a pattern that by together. the end of the film, he's happy to indulge. Exactly. <laughs> it's my favourite portrait. <laughs> favorite it's a sad thing of a toxic relationship like it's the mm. idea of is it toxic <laughs> it <laughs> that's what i mean it's about though, it's yeah. about what is the best possible version of resolution you could find in a toxic relationship yeah like, I, I think that it's a film about like i think the score brilliantly reflects the cycle of his ups and downs like yep. you know the oh, of course i can't really remember it now the what's the like the main theme that the film opens and closes with essentially the second I watched the film again, I was like, oh my gosh, this beautiful music. Like I mm. e- oh, immediately remembered again. Johnny Green. So and you cannot speak about but this it just film comes without back. speaking about the Exactly. Mm. And it just comes back and forth, up mm. and down, exactly like he does. Like, And mm. it does the interesting thing. Like in, It upsets you as a viewer for how you respond to his actions with things like, you know, when she's like, I'm going to throw this surprise for him. And yeah. you're like, he's going to that. fucking hate that. Yeah. And you're getting angry at her. And you're yeah. like, oh my God, it's that tragic thing of like, I'm telling the woman 
to like accommodate, placate, accommodate his shitheadedness. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like yeah. it positions you to understand the genius muse relationship, which is usually disgusting in cinema. The idea that it's yeah. like this man is brilliant but tortured. tortured. Yeah. You know, I think about every single best actress win ever where it's like a, wa- a supportive wife that yeah. just does anything for the man, you know, whereas here it's yeah. like he is fucking absurd and yeah. demanding. And, and you really yeah. see like the, especially in the scenes with the three of them, mm. like the power so, dynamic and oh, like the shift between struggle. them. Such a struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the relationship between like even Alma and Cyril. Yeah. Whenever he's in the room, I'm yeah. like, oof. With the doctor, when they're sort yeah. of, they're both saying the same thing, yeah, acting wins. as if a wife to him. Yeah. And it is this struggle. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. I think... It's interesting to me that you are most immediately attracted to the aesthetic of the film. Mm. Something about all of Anderson's films is that it is like his visuals are so stirring. He has this really but versatile, grand, like such yeah, but very films. versatile and always so mm. steeped in context. Yeah, I don't think this film could have the impact that it does if it weren't in like the 1950s haute couture sort of world that it is. Like I can't imagine this being any other era. And something about, I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's the fact that there is such an intense subtext to this film. The fact that so much is said without saying anything in this kind of nicety, polite, mannered way. Mm. Like the mannerisms and the manners of the entire film. I don't think you could have that without having the 1950s sort of. Yeah. Um, totally. Because the subtext convention. almost subverts like, yeah. yeah, like that expectation of like what it is to be that person at that time. And yeah. then like the, like, yeah, the, the exploration of power is like even stronger because of that. Yeah. 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 I thought it was really smart. Like it almost feels like he kind of wanted to make a movie about, um, I kept thinking about like just consent during it and like, mm. Like, like Noah was saying, there are all these really celebrated performances by a really difficult guy and this endlessly supportive and patient woman who'll put up with him. Mm. And it's like, he is so powerful that he can kind of do anything because his art is so great. Mm. And I think it's really cool that Paul Thomas Anderson picked fashion for this, being like, mm. his art is that he imposes his will about how people should look and like wants to make them look beautiful. Mm. And that is mm. like, that is a... Really big, powerful thing. As we know from Devil Wears Prada, <laughs> you can control the world by picking what colour people are going to wear. Yeah. yeah. And it's like he, because of his position mm. and this amazing talent he has that he learned when he was like a tiny little kid, he can like make women. Yeah. And it's about like the tussling back and forth of like power between them. Yeah. And the and women that deserve to be made as well. Like, you know, the whole yeah. thing about like oh, the drunk. The drunk who, who doesn't and yeah. like, deserve You don't deserve dress. that dress. And part of what <laughs> makes... Oh. Part of what makes Alma this beautiful muse is that, like, he's, like, she appreciates. Because, like, I I think about how with Cyril, Cyril loves him and, like, supports him, but she doesn't know his, like, what he sees as, like, his heart the way Alma does. Like, Mm. Alma feels like the reason that I should be permanent and that I should be this presence in your life is that no Mm. one understands the core of your, like, purpose like mm. I do you know mm. um how much she invests herself in being like Cyril doesn't care Cyril just says like she's the master of that like she pays for this house you have to make her address yeah because Alma's like the soul of what you do and stuff even though that is she really but she knows the, yeah. what it means to be an artist and that comes yeah. across for me best in that moment where um Alma does like says something to the effect of like 
she cannot continue to behave in this way and be dressed by the house of Woodcock. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, like she gets it better than anyone. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like, wow. And after that scene, he's literally like, could he, he cannot he's stop empowered. touching her. He he's like so, makes out with her in the yeah. middle of the street. And I'm like, you should have done the surprise party then. Like, yeah. <laughs> he would have loved it. He would have given like, that asparagus. He'd be like, give yeah. me that pottery yeah. asparagus. Yeah. Like, she would have loved it. Another yeah. thing that I think the film accomplishes really well is the fact that I never feel against or for anyone in particular. Mm. But at times I do feel annoyed. Like I feel annoyed with Alma when she eats really loudly. Oh. Or I feel like pissed off with Woodcock for not appreciating the surprise that she's organised for him. But it's not as if at any point I'm, like, against one person and for the other. It fluctuates so subtly and, you know, fleetingly Mm. in a way that doesn't detract from any story. Like, I think about how the toxic – It's like, it's very effective that initially you're obviously, like, this is a toxic man, but she actually has – is equally contributes to this toxic relationship in that – she takes the elements of him that are unhealthy in the way he approaches the world and applies them to him. Like like you were saying, Eliza, that he's like, I want, I like to make things in my image and stuff. She's doing that to the relationship, whereas Mm. he's very content Mm. being like, this is what it is. Like, Mm. disgusting. Like, he doesn't maintain a healthy relationship, but he goes like, we are what we are. Yeah. You know, whereas she's like, I know what I want this to be. Yeah. And she spends the whole film trying to morph it into that, into which that. is just what he does to dresses and yeah. women. Yeah. Like, so I think true. like, I wonder if Paul Thomas Anderson had kind of spoiled the mystery a bit more of like why they love each other so much and what it is about Reynolds Woodcock that makes him such a great artist. Well, I, I was like just about to ask. I, I really of, believe it. Like, I believe it, but I don't understand it that much. Like, and I don't want to. Like by the end of oh. the movie, I feel like I still don't fully understand either character and I really love that. Like I don't want to right. look into it too much. Yeah. But you're like, what is with this guy? Like it is a similar torture genius character that Daniel Day-Lewis has won awards for. Yeah. But he has this like different charge. Like it's like he's really driven by just like beauty and joy and stuff. Yeah. Like he doesn't – I know you're saying he's toxic and he is in how he treats like the women in his life just by being withholding and not like letting them in enough. But I feel like he's not – he, I don't think he acts in like a malevolent way, like a lot of other films about like creative, brilliant men yeah. do. He like, doesn't. It doesn't feel um, mm. as calculated in that respect. I would agree with that. I must ask, Marty, mm. did you get the whole like Munchausen's reading very obvious? Like, at what point in watching this film for the first time did you realize what the what was going on between with her poisoning him? With poisoning him. Well, the first time I saw it towards the end like that entire sequence when she's making the omelet yeah. at the very end at the very end i was like yeah. does he know like i, I didn't get no it idea. no like, i had no idea until literally the just oh. then and i yeah. felt like an idiot watching it the yeah, first time i was too. like oh my god of course this is what was happening this whole time <laughs> yeah. of course she was poisoning him never got it even the like, whole scene when he falls on the wedding dress I, I didn't what? realize. Yeah. Wait, so we no i had no idea that she was doing that to him until the very very end wait and he knew about it Throughout the entire wait, do you think? No, I don't think. I think at the end it's that he realizes. realizes. Yeah, I think he's when he invites her. But he's only realizing at the end, and I kind of love that I only realized it then too. Right, but then I'm like, am I an idiot? (laughs) Yeah, maybe I'm just stupid. I I was like, was that subliminal? Yeah, I don't know. I love before he falls in the dress though, when like he's looking at it for like two minutes, and then he's like, it's just not very good. It's not good. And he was, he's like, very good work, ladies, beautiful work, and then he's like, but it's shit. Yeah, I just like. When this movie came out, I remember people were saying, like, it's kind of fucked up, like, it's kind of kinky, and it's considered, like, a drama. Mm. But, like, it really reminds me of, like, sugar daddy relationships where it's, like, there's this open arrangement 
that when you see like a really hot young girl and an old like conventionally unattractive looking guy, mm. you're kind of like, gross. But it's like they have this open arrangement that works for them. He is obviously rich enough and she would like money and like a comfortable life mm. and she's hot and makes him feel good. And it's like maybe they really are in love. Like mm. in this movie, like maybe it's fucked up to us, but to uh, to them it's done consensually. It's like that's their idea of balance and like equality in their relationship. Yeah. And like it and it ends with you that's being what, like, this right. is genuinely kind that's of That's what's weird yeah. about that ending. You're like, this is like, that makes kind of, sense. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Like, good and for you. Like, <laughs> like you worked it out. You're like, this is like how shooting these... violently. Yeah. You're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, Alani just loves us so much. Yeah, you're like, this and is the perfect says, end for these people. He's yeah. like, you need to leave me alone for a bit. Like, no more. Like, just stop for one sec. Okay, I'll be fine in a bit. He's like, this is going to be a bit too gross, but then you come back. Wow. Well, we love Phantom Thread. Yeah, we really did. I guess literally no criticism was said. Yeah. Should we Oh. Marty has something. I just, I really want to, because like obviously Daniel Day Lewis is mm. like amazing in his craft, but mm. I just really wanted to talk about like the mythology surrounding him as a method actor. Yeah, and, method and, stuff going, and, and whether that whether that influences yeah. your viewing of it. I don't really like. I I kind of have moved more towards the position of like whatever works for an actor yeah, works right. for an actor. My thing with him is more so like it's something that put like absolutely hangs over like award season and the Oscars mm. like a fog is the idea mm. of like an amazing what is performance is like breaking yourself down totally. and being this like you know, the whole of Phoenix, Phoenix and Joker is like you play some character that's like you know has no skin or like yeah. no meat on his bones and you're all like weird and twisted whereas like which he has done before with something like a big caricature performance in Gangs of New York mm. Mm. whereas what annoys me is I'm like dude your best performance in is this film, which is because it's not some like big, crazy, over the top, like yeah. it's so human. He's not it's the, the center of it. Exactly. Mm. Just yeah. like this year with the awards, like Joaquin's performance, like where it's just this big, like breaking apart, like, oh, this person, like, Watch is so dark myself. and crazy. Agony yeah. of being yeah. an actor. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like Adam Driver's just like beautiful human performance. That's just like mm. the most authentic thing in the fucking world. Mm. And that's how I feel. Like I equally go, no actor should have to like break apart their whole mm. fucking life to to mm. do a movie. That's this whole thing with being like, I this is my last film because every time I, I do a movie, this, yeah. I say bye to my family for a year and yeah. I go away mm. and I prepare for the film. I like yeah. it. Ridiculous. Like, yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. yeah. I like Did you do that for Bring It On? <laughs> <laughs> bye. Heels every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not feasible. No. Yeah. Yeah. I like what Robert Pattinson says about method acting where he's like, no one who does method acting ever plays like a lovely character who's like <laughs> going around making everyone tea. Like why do they always play an asshole? Yeah. <laughs> like I think it is kind of a power move more than. It yeah. just seems like it's more like male actors that yeah. like pioneer yeah. seems that very yeah. masculine thing to be doing it's I all think James Dean Marlon Brando like yeah. back yeah. then trying to make ask, acting seem like a masculine more serious, serious and masculine pursuit. and you do also think about the fact that like I know this is not this isn't as much or I don't know I, I only think about this in terms of like dancing or theatre or whatever where mm. people are like you don't want to see the work like you don't yeah. want to see the effort or the strain yeah. it wants to look effortless totally. so then why are we appreciating these actors who make it look really hard or who are like <laughs> yeah. making a point of making it hard you know yeah. um, but there's there's kind of no way to escape the mythology of Daniel Day-Lewis and like Obviously, it has worked for him. It has. He's yeah. delivered some incredible yeah, performances. Exactly. But what I've noticed, too, is because he doesn't do press, he doesn't really, like, indulge in the practice of it either. Yeah. Like, it just works for him. Whereas I feel like with some actors that really are, like, all about that, yeah. talk about it. It's like, like Christian love, Bale or yeah, whatever, who yeah. are like, yeah, like, this is my craft. It's part this of my, like, yeah. 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 yeah, like, yeah. identity is that I am this thing. Whereas it does, yeah, you're right that it does make him seem less, like, 
self-serving for him to be like, yeah, oh, I'm just a like vessel actor because I does this. It, exactly. Yeah. It serves the work. Yeah. Interesting. You're right. We couldn't talk about this film without having our first Daniel Day-Lewis conversation. Interesting. Well, maybe we should get into comparing the picks. Let's do it. Time to compare the picks. If I'm honest, I feel like this is kind of an unfair little rivalry. Mm. We've had many unfair agree? rivalries on this show. Yeah, I think it couldn't really be helped when we were coming into it with like your suggestion and a movie that has such just like, oh, rich like textual merit or whatever. Um, mm. But okay, let's start with Devil Wears Prada. What do what we about, like about this the movie? Luke's in both movies. Yeah, if we're movies? thinking about yeah. the aesthetic value, what do we think of? The looks in Devil Wears Prada compared to well, like the fashion way. looks or the way it looks as a film? no, like the fashion, <laughs> the fashion, oh, the fashion. The fashion. Yeah. Yeah. they're both fashion movies. Well, Devil Wears yeah, yeah. Prada was like like very recent and it already looks dated. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. If you're gonna make a movie about fashion, like go further back, <laughs> it's gonna look dated like in a couple of years. Yeah. yeah, and some of her hats, like the butcher boy hats, I was like, oof, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even like the long pendants, I was like, oh, that was so yeah. of that time, like 2006. Some where of it we're was like, cool. I actually like the cerulean sweater, like. Her blue one. Yeah, the they make blue fun song. of. <laughs> I would wear that. What does that say about you? Me? like that? Oh, my God. But, like, Emily Blunt's eyeshadow, I think that was the Luke of the movie. Like the green eyeshadow, one? Yeah. Green. Just any yeah. of them. They all looked like that. She just had, like, a wash over her whole eyelid. It looked so good. This the movie was so about, like, chunky belts, like a long pendant <laughs> necklace. Yeah. Like, the little shift dresses with, like, a full fringe. Yeah. Like. That sequence where she's, like, walking through the streets when she had just Ooh, made yeah. a transformation. Oh, I was like, yeah. Get yeah. It. But that's and the montage that I'm looking for. Yeah. Like, this is what I want. And yeah. I remember being yeah. in 2006 being like, wow, I'm going to dress like that. <laughs> yeah. Can, you imagine, <laughs> yeah. can you imagine if Phantom Thread had a, like, t- early 2000s makeover montage? Like, you gotta yes. wear cover so girl. Like, girl, girl, girl like, do like, it, like, 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 shakes his head. He's like, no, no, no. And then he comes out and runs and they're like, just right. I wonder how much Phantom Thread is like a fashion movie just benefits from the fact that it's an era that's further away. So we can romanticize yeah. totally. it more and be like, oh, it's so beautiful and elegant. Just, like, was there a particular dress that you were like, oh, that one? Um, I think the one on the poster, they're like green. The with olive-y. The, yeah, and the olive with like the yellow, um, like kind of like long. Mm. I don't even know what it is. See, like I love the sequence of the woman who... She's from Notting Hill. In Notting Hill, she's in the wheelchair. I don't know if you guys know this, but she's like the first woman. She's like aristocratic oh, yeah. in some kind of way. She wears this dress and it kind of has it this has like cape. a weird seed pattern, like little. Yeah, and it's on. sort of this strapless bodice thing. And she says, it'll give me strength or something yeah. to that effect. She does this little movement. She like walks out of the change room and kind of just does like this little gesture that's like, I'm like, look at me, like I'm here. And there's something so beautiful about it. She's this tall, elegant woman, but. Aside from that, like, she's just a woman. And you can see her just, like, transform in this dress. And the dress itself is amazing. Gorgeous. And then the, the choice to make Alma wear it in the yeah. in the fashion show, like, yeah. and it's yeah. just, like, slightly altered. I'm like, oh, 
so Perfect. beautiful. It's oh, worth yeah. noting that this film um, won – it was nominated for a bunch of different categories, but it only won for Best Costume Design was, at the Academy Awards. Darcy and I were joking. Can you imagine if it didn't win costume? Like, yeah, what you'd be would like, all right, I guess we're never coming back They'd to the like, Oscars. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it goes to Suicide Squad. <laughs> 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 like, ah. who, designed, who designed the costumes? Um, let me see. Because they, know. you said it was like the characters kind of inspired by Charles James, and the dresses definitely look similar to Charles James. Yeah, and then also the House of Givenchy. It's like those yeah, the two that it sort of draws yeah. from. Who did do the costume design? Let me Paul. He just <laughs> <sat> <laughs> did everything. <laughs> yeah. I think like both movies are about really different kinds of fashion. Though. I was gonna, I was gonna say, Eliza, I love what you illuminated about how Phantom Thread fashion is a reflection of what the film's about. Whereas I actually go like. Maybe one of like a thing that Devil Wears Prada doesn't really have is that I don't feel like it needs to be fashion that it's talking about. Right. I mean, it's definitely about a more commercial view of fashion. Like it's yeah. ready to wear. It's being marketed. Like in the movie, they say it's being marketed to like boring middle Western women and stuff. So it's all like more wearable clothes that she literally wears to work and stuff. So it's going to be a bit less dramatic. Yeah. But I think it's kind of exciting being like they are like we're seeing into this exclusive world of the people that decide what we wear, like clothes yeah. that we could realistically in our lifetimes. Yeah, like and it's talking about styles we could emulate the industry itself in a much more commercial way. Wants you to see the mechanics of it all. Like I think it's more about just having like a, a job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's about yeah, exactly. It's about like, like working up the ladder rather yeah. than specifically being in fashion. Like she's a journalist; she's not a designer or something. What I yeah. never got was that she just gets like all these free clothes from the closet. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Where can I? Is that like stealing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. also, why didn't she do it sooner? Like, yeah. her. totally. No, she had to go and have a cry to Tucci before he was <laughs> like, "Here you go." That's true. She would have a big cry to Tucci. The world's best supporting actor and everything. Imagine if a movie wow. came out and it's like Stanley Tucci is the lead. I would cry. I'd be like, "Thank God." Has he been the lead? He's lit the, the whole thing is he's always the supporting. Yeah. Yeah. What made Tucci so good at playing a gay man? Like, yeah, yeah I'm like, are we okay with that? I feel like, yes, we are. Yeah. <laughs> I forgive him. man. Anything. Yes, we are. Um, okay, so do we want to vote or well, do I guess we just... I would also just say something that the films, I would even say like on completely equal levels, obviously there's more screen time for one, but like a complete similarity is the role of the like hard, like grimacing, like very untouchable men mentor leader figure oh, in both films right. is oh, yeah. equally terrific. Both like, of them are Meryl, like three-time Oscar winners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they both give a performance whose strength is in the restraint and like uh -huh. the silence and what isn't said. That's very uh, true. Which I would expect nothing less of both of those people. Like literally when you yeah. say like the amazing actors that we joke about, it's, it's Meryl and, and Danny Day-Lewis. Yeah. You're right. In that so, and I think truly they are both excellent in these films. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. in one case it matches the film and in the other it's much better than it the just, film. It just yeah. outshines the movie yeah. way too much. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I'd agree with that. I think we seem pretty unanimous. My Aww. pick is Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> <laughs> Angry Birds 2 again. Uh, for like the 19th week in a row. It's, uh, yeah, it's Phantom Thread for me. Yeah. I can't go past Phantom Thread. Yeah. I'm just so happy we got to talk about it too. Yeah, I am too. Well done. This has been a very good guest experience. So not only did you come to the podcast, but you came to the podcast with a unanimous winning so exciting. Well, now I'm very excited to hear we have our next segment, which is Triplet in the Attic. Ooh. Let's get Triplet into on it. The runway. Let's do it. Yeah.
now it is time for Triplet in the Attic, or Triplet on the Runway, as it is oh, called very this good. week. Sorry. Yes. We I let that him out once a year to walk down the runway <laughs> to strut his stuff. <laughs> That's like um, his own little bit of like vitamin D or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like shove him back. <laughs> so what we're doing is taking a third piece of media. It can be anything of your liking and we're going to take it and use it as sort of a thematic triplet to our double feature for the week. Um, we always go clockwise. So I'm going to start with Eliza. Okay. My, I felt like I should pick like an actual fashion show. Yeah. So I just tried to think of like the last time I like clicked on an article that was about a fashion show and it was Iris Van Herpen's 2019 spring show. And like, it really impacted me and I find her so cool. She, all of her collections have been pretty similar. Like she's not someone who like really goes for versatility, but she's really committed to like that intersection of like art and design and like science and technology. So her Mm -hmm. dresses will have all these crazy like moving components. Oh, wow. Or like Like motors or something. At at sometimes, yeah. But like they always, they always like really, really thin silky fabrics that look like gills or feathers or whatever. And like while it's cool looking at photos of them, like they'll still look beautiful, but you really have to look at videos of like how the dresses move. And like they're starting to show up on like, you know, Met Gala and like different, like celebrities are wearing them, yeah. but like the runway shows are like this real event. And like, I'm really excited every time one of them comes out. Cause like they're always kind of the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't think anyone is doing the same thing as her with like technology and art, like 3D printing stuff and like all this weird oh, stuff she ooh. does to fabric to make it look like these crazy like underwater sea creatures Whoa. have like vomited out onto like beautiful <laughs> God, where did she's people come up with this stuff? Yeah. yeah like that is literally the opposite of like ready to wear. And <laughs> I love it. Like I love that yeah. someone said like I'm going to get into fashion but like a I'm fashion that's make. like fuck off you can never wear this. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. She's really young as well. Oh, that's crazy. I love that. Awesome. Good one. Crazy cool. Yeah. Mine is a film that it's – I think like a film that rewards rewatches more than any other film in the world. Jeez. And I actually thought like it is weirdly, yeah, it's me, girls. Um, no, <laughs> uh, as in you take something, I don't think anyone's first experience with Vertigo, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo mm. is, um, is ever as layered and textured as like your fourth or fifth or whatever. But I thought, you know what, it's a film with, as well as being colourful and vibrant and an extreme sense of style uh, I think it equally uh, like depicts a, a really like toxic relationship in which one like one party likes to like mold the things around him into his vision. Like it's I think we follow the way we follow Jimmy Stewart's character as he's trying Scotty. to yes, Scott, what's his name? Scotty. That <laughs> as he tries as he tries to morph um, as he tries to morph Rudy Ruby. What? I don't think that's the name at all. Isn't it Madeline or something? No, that's Madeline? the f- the second one. Yeah, but watch Vertigo. Like as he tries to morph a woman <laughs> into the vision of like the the his great love that he lost and his greatest um, muse or whatever. Yeah, his greatest muse. And I think it uses yeah. I just think the sense of fashion as well as the sense of a really toxic relationship between two people and one person kind of pushing their wants and needs onto another person. Mm. Uh, yeah, it reminded me of, of this film. And it equally is so meditative and, like, dreamlike and hazy and, yeah. Yeah, I sorry, think, Judy. Yeah. Right. No, I swear there Judy's the second one. Yeah, ju- that's what I mean. He tries oh. to morph Judy into Madeline. Madeline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, yeah, I think it instilled in me the same value, like feeling and vibe and atmosphere of Phantom Thread. Wow. That's me. Cool. Marty. Ooh. 
So in Phantom Thread, I feel like the unsung heroes were the seamstresses. Yeah. Oh, yes. Like, they Come worked yes, around me. the clock. <laughs> and I, was, I, was, I, I was like, you were nothing without these women. <laughs> and so um, there's this docu- like documentary series on Netflix called Seven Days Out. Mm-hmm. And there's um, the episode with the late Karl Lagerfeld. And mm-hmm. it's before like one of the Chanel shows. Um, it, it really hones in on the seamstresses, the pattern makers, like everything that goes on behind the scenes. Mm. And it's a really nice look at like what happens, you know, on the other side of that, yeah. you know, because it is his name and it is his house. But, mm. um, you know, putting a spotlight on those people that actually yeah, do it. Do mm. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's stressful and it's chaotic because it's like seven days out from the oh, event. Wow. Um, are they quite like respected or is everyone really like harsh on them? Um, they're actually like, these are obvious, these are his collaborators, collaborators that have been with him for like 10 oh, plus right. years. So yeah. like they're like a family. Yeah. They're like a family. So like mm-hmm. it also kind of dispels that myth of like, this is like, you know, everyone in fashion is bitchy because it's mm-hmm. like a really like, oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, I really want to watch That's that. such that an interesting good. thing in art. Like even when you go to like an art gallery or museum, like, there's always this divide that like male artists will do big conceptual things like painting and sculpture and mm. women will do like arts and crafts or like textiles yeah. or like little finicky things that are more like the mm. man hours you put in rather than the vision. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. I love that. <laughs> and you're totally right. Like what is a vision without its execution? Yeah. Literally. Wow. Mm. Good one. Stunning. Okay. Love that. <laughs> Done well. Um, my triplet in the attic for this week is my first – in my mind, the first film I saw and thought of as what well, I now understand to be like a fashion movie, hmm. um, it is the Audrey Hepburn movie Funny Face. Mm. And in it, it just has like the most incredible costume design by the most like notorious costume designer, Edith Head. And I love Audrey Hepburn um, and I just love this movie. It's like my first, you know, interaction with a movie kind of like this where you sort of do see how Devil Wears Prada borrows from the whole montage thing. Um, they have the sequence of her being photographed in all these beautiful costumes. So, yeah, that is my triplet. I feel like it's probably better coupled with um, Phantom Thread. But you can yeah. see how it plays into Have you seen that the movie, The Women? No, it's like that? the original. Oh, I, was um, the women I seen... watched that as a kid. I, don't, I didn't remember yeah. enough to be like, I could um, like suggest it. But, yeah. There's like, okay, the movie's Wait, all black is and it white. With, um, it's like Rosalind face? Russell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been remade with it's really with like Meg Ryan. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. But the whole movie's black and white, but halfway through the movie, the narrative just stops dead in its tracks and there's a colour um, fashion show, oh. like <laughs> literally just showing off clothes and then it goes back to the story and you're like, what was that? Which is yeah. like, oh, more of that. You're not mad because like, the clothes yeah. are so beautiful. Oh, I love but, that. Yeah, it's a similar thing where you can feel the movie being like, look, pretty, <laughs> so pretty. <laughs> I love that and just Gorgeous. indulge that like. Vanity. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us this week, and especially a big thank you to Marty for joining yeah. us. Thank you for having us. It was fun for us. So much fun. And it's nice having someone bring their own take and like perspective. Yeah. We tend to. We sort know of, how we're all going to react. To yeah, stuff we know generally. how we. We know how it's we not a surprise. feel about yeah. things. You know. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very happy that we had. Another yeah. hot take on the podcast. Yes. Exactly. And we will have another hot take as well for next week's episode. Yeah, what's next week, Noah? Well, because it's love is in the air, because it'll be love approaching Valentine's Day, uh, we're bringing along another friend for How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and 10 Things I Hate About You, a Ooh, rom-com 10 double feature. It's going to be wild. really 
corny for Valentine's Day. No way. <laughs> it's going to be great fun. Well, as always, we love hearing from you guys. We love any feedback you can give us. So leave any reviews wherever you're listening or send us an email at twinfixpodcast.gmail.com. Thanks, Noah. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, we really do appreciate it. Um, Lars, where else can people head to hear some movie news? Yeah, Phantom Thread actually showed up on a lot of people's best of the decade list on roughcutfilm.com, mm. a movie website I like edit and write for. So highly recommend that. Get over there for that. Yeah. I really like on your on Rough Cut the like star sign, like horoscope. Yeah, yeah they do yeah. horoscope. Well, they really cool. Lovely. My friend Ivana, who we should also have as a guest. Oh, yeah, she's the best. She's been doing cinemascopes, which is like horoscopes but based on like film like whose birthday it is for that month and what their star sign says about the films Ooh, they make so you watch, like, Ooh, you'd be into that yeah it says like yes. you should watch phantom thread because blah blah this blah. is so fitting for this episode yes. spotify does that too with music like they yeah they, they have this such good horoscope yeah oh yeah. really that's cool yeah i, I had know. so much lizzo in mind because i'm a leo so it was really like yeah, yeah. yeah. feel yourself yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay yeah. yes it's true thing um, <laughs> Marty, did you have anything to promote? Like, yeah, yeah, plug, plug yourself. Plug, plug. plug away. Um, well, I have an Instagram account, but I since deleted it because, you know, yeah. social media. Tech detox. Tech detox. I love um, but it's still on there. I just don't have the app. Marty Alex with an extra X. Yeah, Instagram. Is there any like thing you're in? Like you were just telling us about your awesome show you're rehearsing for right after this. Oh, yes. So I'm doing um, a play reading at the Alex Theatre called And She Would Stand Like This. It's a play by a queer black um, writer called Harrison David Rivers. And it's about the Harlem ballroom scene in the 80s, but it takes inspiration from uh, the Trojan women. Yeah. That is incredible. That sounds, so cool. sounds really sounds interesting. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Wow. Well, 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 I'll be paying attention to that. Yeah, too. yeah. Thank you so much Good for thing. listening. Um, get in touch and we'll hear from you. Or, I mean, you'll hear from us next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Valentine's yeah, yeah. Day. Yay. Bye. Bye. Fashion. <laughs> passion for fashion. Passion for fashion. Brats. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs>